Welcome to the Fisher's Second Ward podcast. This is a podcast to help members of the Fisher's Second Ward of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints get to know their neighbors in the ward. The ideas and thoughts that we share aren't necessarily a reflection of the official doctrines of the church. We just hope to strengthen our friendships and our faith by sharing our stories. Thanks for listening, and let me introduce you to a member of the ward. And welcome back. It's only been um, a week or two, <laughs> I think, since our last our last person that we had uh, on the podcast. But this time, we've got an old-timer. Um, this is not a reference to your age, of course. This is a reference to how long you've been in the ward. Rich Tinsmeyer, who's been here in the Indiana- Indianapolis area for how long? How long have you been here, Rich? Well, about 63 years, if that gives you an idea of <laughs> well, not how the age. age is there. But uh, you know what the ages are. You get those birthday cakes out, so <laughs> as we say, so... Yeah, I uh, was born in Salt Lake, but uh, we moved here when I was three months old, so I got here about as quick as I could, and uh, been a Hoosier pretty much ever since, in spite of time away for mission, college, uh, and uh, 10 years up in Michigan working for EDS for General Motors. Okay. I was able to bring the kids back down here and raise them with Grandma and Grandpa. Nice. Back in the Indy area. So um, what what brought your... I'm assuming it's your parents who brought you yep. at age three months. Mom and dad were both uh, Utah-raised uh-huh. and uh, had uh, gotten their college degrees and so on. Uh, dad was teaching at, at colleges, uh, had done one in Ohio and other places. And I think with the arrival of the thir- third child, they finally realized he better get a, a position that could support <laughs> a larger family and... Uh, so he hired on with Union Carbide here in Indianapolis and okay. settled in. So are you the third child that, that prompted that move? I am the third child uh, th- that lived and all those kind of things. But yes, yeah, they, we uh, moved in. Uh, it was very important to live close to the church in those days. Had to be within a block or two. They, uh, Dad moved in. They, I actually spent my first three months living at my grandparents' home, and then once we moved here to Indianapolis, lived for another couple of months in a motel across the street from the Indy 500 track. Oh, nice. Which was basically back door to the Union Carbide offices, so Dad could walk to work and until they, they bought a car, and um, then it was possible for him to drive the 10 miles to where we moved and bought a home. Nice. So you've been here for a long time, and I I only knew that because you're in the, what is it, the long Fourth time... Week. Yeah, long-time uh, friends, yeah. indie friends, yeah. the so Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What's the uh, the membership requirement for that? How long do you have to be in, <laughs> in the Indianapolis area before you qualify? To, there there really isn't. There's uh, no criteria of that. It kind of started out as a, hey, who were our friends in the 60s and 70s? Who did we know in those days? And uh, it certainly blossomed out from there. A lot more people that care about the church here in Indy for a long time and uh, we just get together once a year, and we communicate about people in the meantime. Yeah. So I've some, seen some things on that. So if anybody's interested in being part of that, then you can reach out to... Uh, I think you just search that on Facebook. It's right? a Facebook page, yeah, Longtime Indie Friends. Mm-hmm. And then you probably have somebody who's kind and willing to accept <laughs> new members. So that's great. So I was going to ask if you remember moving here, but I'm going to guess that you don't. I, I don't know about a whole lot of it. I've got pictures of it that show Grandma handing me over the fence at the airport in Salt Lake City. Okay. You know, crying her eyes out, letting the little ones go. Uh, yes. Back when you could actually go down on the tarmac at airports. And yes. You know, that's no longer. Not for a while. Doable for the passengers. 
some of those days. So um, what are some of your earliest memories of um, the Hoosier State? Did you, Do you remember being close to the track? or, or uh, No, none of that. That was only a few, few months uh, into my age, so I didn't uh, recall any of that. Just stories of it later, I guess. I've uh, been back to see the track since, gone around it a few times. Never run the mini or anything that would give me an opportunity to see the track that close. close but nope, haven't. I, I have kissed the bricks, I guess, but uh, <laughs> on purpose. Oh well, that's good. That's uh, different than I guess the not on purpose. If you're uh, running a marathon and you faint halfway through, that's not so good. <laughs> that's true. So um, down in that, you said the Indianapolis Fourth Ward, which I don't. That doesn't exist anymore, does it? Uh, I think the fourth, maybe the young single adult uh, program at this point. But yeah, we started off with the first and second branches back in the 50s, uh, which became the first and second war, and they were meeting down at Prospect and Villa, um, the uh, church building that uh, Elder Kennard had posted at the um, yeah. Carmel Chapel, so you can see it just as you're facing the temple from the back door of the chapel there. Yeah, that, was that the first building in the Indianapolis area that was dedicated? It was the first uh, one that was dedicated in the Indianapolis area, um, 1920s, 1930s. Um, about 34 years before that, there was a building built in Indiana down uh, in Greene County, okay. Center Township of Greene County, which is just west of Bloomington. And uh, it was like a huge barn, as I understand it, and looked... Okay. It was called the Mormon Temple because it was the closest thing we had in those days. <laughs> I don't know if it's still around, still being used by the Linton branch or, or ward, or, but uh, I've got to go down there and see that one of these yeah. days. So I, I remember seeing that picture that, uh, that Elder Kennard had um, put in the, the new stake center there. But I remember, I think, that uh, wasn't, wasn't it Heber J. Grant who was in that picture? It is, yeah. So that's... Uh, Long time, long history, and that building is no longer being used by the church. Does the building exist anymore? The Prospect and Villa building does exist. It's been painted, uh, I think, white since then. But yeah, I've been down recently and seen it. It's still around. Okay, just not being used by the church. Right. Uh, I think the first ward stayed there while the second ward moved up to the 39th Street Chapel when it was built in 59, um, and then expanded on from there. They had to the members actually built a home and sold that home in order to have the money to fund doing the 39th Street Chapel. Interesting. Down in Edgewood on the south side. So so you've, you've seen a lot of the, um, not a lot, you've seen, but no, you've seen a lot of the Indiana history I've, of the church. I've seen a lot of it come and grow. I was fortunate that uh, Bishop Chamberlain, um, well, he was our bishop in our teen years, uh -huh. had us as teenagers. Our assignment was to go around and visit with the Deckers and the others that had helped to build the 39th Street Chapel and interview them about their experiences with tape recorders. So that was our version of a podcast. Nice. <laughs> so we get some appreciation for what the work was, went into building that as he needed to sell that off in order to have a Fisher's building mm -hmm. built. But yeah, I was able to be there for the groundbreaking in 79 of the Fishers building before leaving on my mission. And then the one true church was no longer there when I came back, <laughs> their church building. So that, things change when you're on your mission. They do. That's so you uh, served a mission. Where'd you go? Well, um, 
I was assigned to the Fiji mission, which was English-speaking, and I was grateful for that, but uh, assigned to a little island called New Caledonia, which is just north of New Zealand and Australia, okay. down in Melanesia, and it was French-speaking. Oh, wow. So I had to learn the French, and then I couldn't be transferred off that island because that was the one place we were going to speak French. So nice. It was one island for the two years. So you were assigned uh, pretty much immediately? Um. Yeah, I received a a letter about two weeks after I received the mission call saying from the mission president, this is where you'll be assigned, and that was, was pretty much it. And it weren't the only missionaries on the island. My MTC companion and I were the only Americans, Okay. only American missionaries on the island for the two years. Uh, so we kind of relied on each other, but there were many from the island or from France okay. that were there. So did you learn French... Um, kind of baptism by fire just thrown into it, or did you have... I was fortunate. Broad Ripple High School had a fairly good French program as well. I would have flunked out of it, uh, <laughs> but uh, had a very good teacher that allowed me to do some extra credit. I translated a song in French and played it on my guitar, so she gave me lots and lots of enough extra credit to pass the class. <laughs> she just didn't want to see me come back. But, well, uh, that's good. So... So was that in high school that you learned French? That was in high school that I learned it, and that gave me a better start in the MTC, but yeah. uh, everybody, all the other missionaries caught up very quickly and were right right with it. That gift of tongues is an amazing thing when, yes. you're, when you have to speak it to eat. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So uh, talk a little bit about some of your mission experiences. What, what was it like in uh, New Caledonia? Well, for a boy that would grown up in Indiana and never seen the ocean. <laughs> There's ocean there. Having it now lapping up against the, the church building that we were, our home was behind, it was uh, a little different. We'd go up and run it up and down the beach each morning to get our exercise. And uh, the uh, people were a very humble people, a lot of fishermen, uh, built their own boats in the uh, garage in the backyard, and then go out and fish uh, just like you see in the chosen uh, fishermen out doing their fishing, and but they take care of us. Uh, they bring back a, a turtle or something which is illegal to catch. Uh-huh. They accidentally caught it in the net or something. It was okay as long as you fed some to the missionaries. So <laughs> nice. Or they bring us the pineapple as long as we'd cut off the top and give it back to them so they could grow some more. Yeah. So we we ate pretty good. Had a banana tree in the backyard. Oh, cool. Which was terrible on the white shirts because it oh, overhung those and dripped on there. <laughs> so, um, what? How? How has missionary life changed in the years since your mission to what you're seeing today? Well, I, I kind of thought I would never have a chance to know that because uh, once I was gone, I, I figured I wouldn't really be in touch with people. Um, after all, while I was there, it would take you know two weeks for the boat to bring mail. Mm-hmm. And uh, two weeks for my reply to get back to mom and dad. So right. by the time letters crossed in the mail, um, you really didn't keep up with people a whole lot. But with the advent of Facebook, I'm now I get messages from people saying, thank you for converting my grandmother. Wow. This is what we're doing now. And my daughter just left on a mission. And so now we get a chance to see the, the growth. Um, it used to be that their main goal was to be able to get to New Zealand where the closest temple was, but they've uh, had a temple in Fiji, which is fairly close as well, and they do get to Tahiti as well. So. Okay. So you spent your entire mission on the island? 
on New Caledonia. Okay. It's about 30 miles wide, but it's about 200 miles long. So we didn't get up in the bush country a whole lot. We helped to, to build a chapel um, 50 miles north in Tontuta, which is where the airport is. Okay. Um, but lived in the capital city. About half of the, about 150,000 people on the island, and about half of them lived in Noumea, which was our city. Okay. So that's where we worked. So, um, did they have um, French scriptures for you at that point, or were you doing things? There were French scriptures. Were um, I was able to get some of those in the MTC and, okay. and take them out with me, um, but. In many ways, it was kind of like Hawaii. It was a melting pot. There were lots of different cultures on the island. Um, one thing we'd do as missionaries is go knock on doors and find who was willing to talk to us, and it might not be in French. And so at priesthood meeting the next Sunday, we'd be asked for a hand, oh, who can go with us to speak Walesian on Tuesday and Samoan on Wednesday? Oh, wow. And then we'd give the lesson in French, and they'd translate it for the family to understand. Did you learn any other languages or parts of languages as you... Uh, at least but, saying hello in several languages, yeah. I guess that, A few that words. Makes sense. I took Edison to um, to Paris a few years ago, um, and the, there's an international ward that we went to, which was, it was just fun to go, and uh, because it's the international ward, they had uh, the sacrament meeting translated into... I think Chinese and English, and there may have been another language in there as well. But there were several um, expats that were there from the states that um, could help with the translation. Yeah. So we, so he said, I think they did the deacons' quorum in two languages, and I think they did French and English. Um, but it was it was uh, neat to to see. V- Various language languages that were being used, and I guess we have some of that in our own world with, with the ASL. But um, it is a, it opens up a whole new level of the gospel when you see the gospel in a different language. Some yeah. of the words have whole new meanings. That's true. So, um, with that, what what elements of the gospel have taken on a a richer meaning for you as you've considered concepts? in English and French, uh, whether it's vocabulary or um, as you've taught the gospel and uh, on your mission? Have there been any any uh, insights that you've gained? I, I'm sure there are uh, from 40 years ago, unfortunately. I've probably uh, absorbed them so much that I don't recognize the difference anymore on, on some of those. They're not standing out anymore. Um, a lot of it was just the culture change of the, um, I'm leaving home and those kind of things were probably more overwhelming. It felt more like I'm leaving heaven and I'm leaving my parents and I'm Uh going to another world. It's just going to be completely foreign to me. Yeah. The idea that it becomes paradise and now you don't want to leave it and (laughs) come back. I just want to stay, but that's true. So, well, good. So you served a mission, you survived it. The pineapple and the bananas and the mangoes the and mangoes all those and things. Oh, yeah, learned lots so of different good. Tahitian foods, and it was uh, a good portion of it was Tahitian as well, including including some of my companions. Okay, 
Um, so we learned some of their culture. Um, this one branch was half French, half Tahitian. The other branch was all French. So they would do a sacrament prayer in French and a uh-huh. sacrament prayer in Tahitian. Oh. Bread in one, water in the other, and vice versa the next week. Cool. One speaker in French, one speaker in Tahitian. Okay. Did you have Inbooks. people, little pockets of, of people who would have translation for the different languages, or did they just kind of rely on the fact that they'd get they'd get some content in their language? Well, they they were probably having, they were either Tahitian families and their kids would be going to school and learning French, and so they'd have to be starting to learn it. Um, some of those kind of things would help with the translation that way. We'd get visitors from from the United States or something, and then we'd have, as American missionaries, we'd translate for for them. Uh-huh. Little pockets that way. Cool. So you came back, um, and then what? Uh, I went to BYU at that point. Uh, my little brother had gone to BYU for a year, and then he left for his mission. Uh, we got to spend a summer here in Indianapolis painting houses and re-roofing right. houses and earning money for college for me and mission for him at that point. And swap places. I went and lived in Chipman Hall, where he had lived, and he went out and went to Belgium. So. I don't think Chipman Hall, Hall is there anymore. Well, it was there last summer was when it? I was there. Yeah, okay. it's uh, it switches back and forth between whether it's a guy dorm or a okay, girl dorm. Right. But yeah. it's it's at the end. It's the one where all of the athletes stayed. I was definitely not an athlete. But <laughs> they were in our ward anyway. Okay. So, what did you study at BYU? Well, I thought I was going to be studying computer science. That was my special, what I liked at Broderpool High School. And thought that's the coming things. Dad was good enough to show us some computer things, okay. things he was doing at Lilly in those days. And so as boys, all three of us ended up growing up to do computer things. But at BYU at that point, computer science was just that. It was science it was held in the Iring Science Building. It was a science, not a a business thing. And I it's like, where am I going to apply this? They they want to teach you how to take a robot down a hall, uh-huh. three steps, and then turn right, and then go down these steps. And so you want to be able to program mm-hmm. in that direction. And I was more of a, I want to know how this is going to be used in the business world. Oh, interesting. And you're remembering that we didn't have computers in our own homes in those days. Right. You were lucky if the school had a computer lab that you could go and type up your papers on. You usually typed them up on a typewriter. Yeah, back in those... So learning what information management was, they actually created an information management uh, degree uh-huh. the, the following year, partially based on some of what I decided I need to learn computers, but I need to learn, apply it to business and to finance. Yeah. So I took those classes and figured out how people might use that for keeping track of accounting okay. and then came back and applied that. I hired out of BYU to work for EDS, for General Motors. Mm-hmm. So that's what took me up to Michigan. Okay. And uh, we basically learned how to combine. GM's big thing was they were buying up all these different automotive companies and uh-huh. combining them into one. But they had no way of tracking the finances because every company had their own silo, had their own right. way of reporting the ins and outs the uh, of their things and so we helped to create dashboards for them to be able to see at a glance here's how each one's doing compared to the other and okay and make it all one language for them that's a um, a complex process as you're trying to take information from different systems and and make them at least make them look compatible 
right. and making them actual actually compatible on the back end. That's yeah. that's a whole another later step. Challenge. Yeah. Once once you see what the end result's supposed to be now, and then all of the systems have to make that flow right. more smooth. So how long were you at EDS? I was with them for 20 years. Um, I got moved back here to do some spinoff with Saturn. Um, so I'd drive down to Tennessee and figure out what they needed to do as they were building the new company in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and uh, bring it back for the, the coders to to build it here in Indianapolis, and then I go back and demonstrate it in Tennessee. Okay. So were you in, in Michigan for 20 years, or was that? And 10 years in Michigan, okay. and then another 10 years or so here. Then back here. Um, but uh, one of the things EDS had committed to was continual downsizing of what they needed to do for General Motors. Okay. They would provide the same work, but it would be at you know 15% less every year. So we had to find ways to be more efficient, more effective, right. which meant we were working our way out of a job there. And EDS <laughs> yeah. was continually working into, now these people need to work for the government or they need to work for the banking industry. Uh -huh. So they were expanding in other areas. Okay. So, um, so and at some point in that, that span, you met Linda, I'm guessing? That was at college, okay. sure. Uh, she and I were a BYU typical comp uh, couple that uh, met and fell in love and all those things. Freshman ward for me. She'd been there a year before. Okay. Um, but uh, we were in the same ward, and she was up conducting music just mm -hmm. as she does now, and yeah. caught my eye. <laughs> and so does that bring flashbacks for you on Sundays? I love it. Yeah, it's certainly uh, worthwhile to, to see that, and it feels good to, to see her. Uh, it means I don't get to sit next to her nearly as much yeah, as I'd like to, but I do get to see her from afar. That's true. So I see that each week. So, so how did you... You were in the same ward. Was there... Um, a story behind how you met? Um, the, I guess the brief story is that uh, she had uh, reached out to me because she wanted to ask somebody for prom for the uh, girl ass guy. Okay, yeah. And it was a buddy of mine. The Sadie so, Hopkins or something. Yeah. So we helped uh, get her and Destin together, and they had a wonderful date. It was a good time. And then uh, they both got engaged, but to somebody else. <laughs> So I kind of written her off for a while, and then uh, once my roommate told me she's back available again, then I went knocking at her door. Okay. We uh, kidnapped her for a Halloween um, thing. Uh, each of the guys in our dorm or in our apartment had kidnapped a different girl wearing our gorilla outfits. and uh, <laughs> But she had cookies she was baking, so we had to not immediately grab her out like the others had and oh, yes. wait for the re the uh, reward money to come and get, yes. the, get the cookies. <laughs> so we brought the cookies along and went, watched uh, Knott's Landing or something else on TV together as a Fun. wonderful date night evening. So how did you know? How did you know she was the one for you? Um, because she said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so no, she, she and I were very... Uh, much able to talk with each other and, and get along with many good things. Found we had a lot in common that way. Good conversation. And uh, I was taking one of those uh, life planning courses at BYU, which is one of the required religious courses. Figure out your life, pre-written obituary, all those kind of things. And and she was uh, so fitting in with everything that I was thinking about what the future life ought to be. And... Uh, so I'd talk it over with her, and 
what my life ought to be and that she ought to be part of it. And, and she agreed. All works. Yeah. <laughs> so, so where'd you guys get married? Was it in there. Utah or? No, we uh, came back to Washington, D.C. to get Temple. That was the, okay. to have a, our ceiling there. Um, she'd, uh, she and I had both saved our pennies for building the Washington, D.C. Temple. Oh, she from nice. Florida and me from here. Okay. And that was the closest one for both of us. So that was how we, uh, it's where we wanted to be. And her brother lived close by there, and my family was here. Okay. It was uh, easier for us to get together out there. So we had it all planned for June 21st of 1984. And then uh, a month later, my little brother announced that he was getting married on June 21st of 1984 <laughs> in the Salt Lake Temple. So oh, wow. we kind of figured, well, better make some changes that way. And we opted to do ours three weeks earlier, still okay. in the D.C. Temple. And so everybody still had a chance to scramble and get back to Utah for his yeah. wedding. That's the things we do to our parents. Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> <laughs> With me and Marcin, I just called my parents and I said, uh, we're getting married on June 13th, and we hope you can be there. <laughs> well, that's not a good day. Well, sorry. <laughs> you got to make it. So, Join us that, where it's happening. Well, that's fun. So how did... Uh, so you were, you, you were still in school when you were married? We did. Uh, she, she had graduated a year, um, but I still had a year to go. Okay. I got married in the summertime in between uh, junior and senior year for me. But she stuck with me as I, I kept working at BYU. I was in the custodial staff there. Okay. Worked at uh, this married student housing and those kind of things. And she was working in the bank. And uh, uh, But uh, once we graduated and figured Michigan was going to be a good place to do, she started teaching in Michigan. And okay. I kept doing the computer stuff for General Motors. Fun. So then you have kids. We do. They uh, didn't come easy. It was adoption for all three of our kids. Yeah. Uh, we've had some podcast discussions of adoptions yeah. before and those kind sure. of things. Uh, we're grateful for all three of them. And uh, you've had a chance to watch several of them grow yeah. here a little bit. Yeah, Mary was one of my seminary students. And that's when you guys moved back into the area, I think, as she... It is. Uh, we was we, in that, that age range. Right. When we first moved back to Indianapolis in 95, 90, yeah, 95, we had uh, lived on the west side, so we were over at Pike Township at that point. And then when she was ready for high school, sophomore year of high school, we'd moved up here. Um, I was teaching at, or I was managing the computer systems at Ball State University. Okay. And coming from Fishers was a little closer than coming from the west side of Indy. Yeah, that'll take cut the drive a... from an hour and a half to being only forty-five minutes. Right. So. Well, that's good. Yeah, I remember meeting you um, as you were stopping by to kind of uh, maybe scout out wards or something. And so that was fun. And then I think I was out of the um, the youth program for a little bit when Matt was in those ages. And then um, Carl, I got to, to at least peripherally, I was around Carl. So our Carl. kids are five to six years apart, each one of them, and so yeah. that makes for a pretty good gap. You get to go through each of the, go through the teenage years one time after the other. Right. Each time. Yeah, and then and uh, 
teenagers, and they're all they're all the same too, right? As they go through the identical, teenagers. yeah, their <laughs> their experiences. Yes, absolutely so not. What worked for one worked for the other two, and it just makes life easy as a as a parent. Well, we we learned some things like uh, it really helped to have the Kirkiners take Mary to seminary and those uh-huh. kind of things, and so. Um, once Christy had quit, had finished taking Mary, then uh, Phil was able to take Matt. So those kind of things. Nice. You pass along the, the experience when you've got good neighbors that are willing to share some of those things. It's a nice thing. Yeah, that's very help- helpful. So um, you've been in the ward since then, since you moved here in, was it 95? Two, 2000, 2000? 2005 then when 2005. we moved here into this ward. Um, I'd been the bishop over in the Eagle Creek Ward and uh, moved up here in time for there to to split the Fisher's Ward to become the Fisher's First and Second. Watch some of that. And I remember when that happened and how devastating that was for some of the kids. That, oh, I, I'd lose in my family. They'll be in the same seminary class, so don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and the, So it's grown a little bit since then. and Now we have a third ward and a stake. Yep. Watch a lot of growth. Yeah, that's true. So um, but that pushed us into the Muncie stake about that time as well, yes. and then then back. Yes, we got uh, so we bounced around. So we've been in the same house, and you are probably in the same situation, same house for some period of time, and have been in the North Stake, and then the Muncie stake, then back in the North Stake, and now the Fisher stake. Right, and the Fisher's ward, and the Fisher's first and second, and. Uh, we were actually never in the Fishers first. It was only when it was the Fishers, but I knew you were on the being on the south end of the ward. Yeah, yeah, we were the in the first ward until they uh, realigned some of the boundaries of I can't even remember what year it was, but uh, we love the Fisher second ward. Good group together. Yeah. So, um, and I know your family dynamic has changed a little bit. You have a new resident in your home, not new anymore, but. <laughs> Well, about about the time that uh, so Mary had gotten married and raised our is raising our two grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was living in Pittsburgh, and Matt and Carl were around. Um, uh, Matt passed away, and then uh, Grandma moved in with us. Well, Carl finished his last year of high school before he headed off to college. Yeah. And so, yeah, Linda's mother lives with us, and it's a vibrant part of our ward and yeah. who we are. That's fantastic. So she, how long has she been with you now? Um, it'll be five years next summer. Okay. So moved in. I remember when she moved in, and I guess that just means that I'm a long time indie. You've been around a <laughs> long time. <laughs> you you qualify, great. absolutely. So, so well, that's, that's good. And so you've got... Uh, family um not well you've got your mother-in-law close by but you don't have carl around right now you don't have mary around right now so that's right our, our family unit is is spread far and wide uh, once mary had moved back here to town with us as well but once she saw carl out in utah and they went out to visit they liked it so well they decided to move out there and three weeks later they'd packed up the house and wow. moved out so she's bought a home and moved into Tooele, Utah, and okay. settled in out there with them. And at least Carl has a place she can go for Sunday dinners yes. now at her house. <laughs> College, starving college student. Well, he is. good. And and Carl's 
been in college for a couple years? About about three years now. Okay. He's uh, working on his music education. He'd started at Utah Valley University uh-huh. while he was getting his residency in Utah, which ended up making things a little less expensive. Oh, yeah. And then was able to transfer over to the Utah, uh, University of Utah. And uh, he's still working on his music education, and he's teaching voice and teaching piano. Oh, cool. Both in person and by Zoom, uh-huh. as COVID has taught us. Yes. In order to support himself on his mission. Well, that's he lives cool. in, in an apartment on the avenues, so he's had a chance to see there, because that's just a few blocks from where my father grew up. And Oh, fun. And uh, he was a U of U grad himself. Well, that's neat. Well... Um, callings are not our identity, but you have, uh, an interesting calling, I think. So what are your... A few of them. Uh, I've got to work with primary, um, teaching the primary boys their activities Uh on, uh, Thursday nights now, every other Thursday night. Uh, wonderful group of guys and very curious and willing to learn a lot of things, and Brother Stroman is a great chef, and so we uh-huh. usually include some cooking as part of that, and everybody gets involved. Yes, and that's fun for parents as boys learn about, and girls, learn about cooking and, and experiment. and Try some of those things at home. And, yeah. And these boys are good to, to share what they make as well. It's, it's a nice thing they don't just wolf fall right. down themselves. And how long have you been doing that? Um, I think uh, Brother Stroman and I have been doing this for about three years, maybe four years. Okay. And about a year into it, I started feeling like um, I was missing something that uh, I'd had when I was doing deacons. You combine the scoutmaster and the deacons things, uh-huh. and you could apply in the scout outings and the activities uh-huh. the things that you'd taught them on Sunday. So I asked the primary president if it was okay for me to come and visit the primary class on Sunday from time to time and see what they're learning so I could apply that. So they promptly called me to teach on Sunday morning, too. <laughs> nice. So you get to do both. Right. So we're teaching the Valiant 9 and Valiant 10 class okay. on Sunday mornings, and then I've got all the boys age 8 to 11 on uh, the night's evening activities. Fun. So is that you and Randy uh, teaching as well? Well, he and I teach uh, the activities at night, okay. and Elder Betra and I okay. teach uh, Sunday mornings together. So he's my companion. Nice. I'm his companion. <laughs> it works both ways. Yeah, both ways. Well, good. Well, um, that is uh, that's got to be fun. How many how many boys do you have in your group right now? We've got uh, nine boys, and um, between the two classes, uh, eight. And there, I have seven girls and one boy in the Sunday class. Okay, how that happens to work out. But I'm also a stake auditor, so I get a chance to visit okay. some of the wards and, and audit the stake financials and yeah. things. I know that's one of the absolute favorite things for bishops and financial clerks to be involved in. <laughs> well, they, they we have some really excellent clerks, and so it's not really a problem for a lot of them. They've got it well organized, and we've watched as it's gone from paper and pencil to pretty much all computerized. Mm -hmm. The more people put their donations in through the computer, then there's a lot less for the clerks to do and therefore a lot less things we need to audit. Right. It makes it easier for things to, to not slip through the cracks and, and not 
fall into those categories that that really need to be examined. So that's that that was happening just after I was um, on when I was on the high council. I was part of the audit committee, and and so um, I saw the tail end of the the all the paper stuff and and started to see the online stuff, and that makes a big difference. Yeah, the people in Salt Lake are constantly working to streamline things and make it as easy as, as possible for people to not have problems. Yeah, and it protects the church, and it protects the, the bishops and the clerks and the um, everybody involved, really. So, so when you hear them at uh, General Conference and they say the Audit Committee has uh, authorized that everything has been done properly, it's a good feeling. Uh, yeah. You really see that it really has worked hard to do that. Well, that's cool. Other colleagues, or is that... Just three right now. Three is, uh, is <laughs> enough to juggle right now, although a lot of people say that with Linda being compassionate service, I, I get the extra calling of getting to go around with her to deliver meals and those kind of things. It's a, it's a joy to see the progress. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Well, what, el- what else does the ward need to know about the Tinsmire family? Well, you know about the people and about uh, how long we've been here and those kind of things. Uh, just our gratitude for the people here. Certainly, uh, your mother-in-law is one who taught me to be a missionary. She taught the teacher development course that I had to take before I could leave as a missionary. So, yeah, those are she loved to teach. She did, and I still uh, am applying some of her principles. Uh, Even just a few years ago, she was handing out candy to kids as they would come and recite the articles of faith to her, and I do that now for our kids. I've always got a handful, a pocket full of Jolly Ranchers on Sunday. Well, that's good for any of the kids that come by. That's right. (laughs) So come recite your article of faith, there and I'm go. happy to give you a Jolly Rancher. Well, that's fine. Yeah, that was something that uh, that she loved to do, and and she would uh, match to the the age level and the the ability level. And so mm-hmm. some kids would be able to recite an article of faith, and she would say, "Okay, that's not good enough. I need you to do something more. I need a scripture or something like that." And and then the younger kids, she would allow them to be coached so that they could finish the complete article of faith and, and get their treat. So that's great. Especially the long one, article of faith yes. 13, <laughs> if you run into trouble on a word or two there. That's right. There's some big words in that one. Yeah. Well, good. Well, just to wrap up, um, share a couple elements of your testimony. What are some things that have shaped the way that you, um, that you have uh, lived your faith? Well, one of the things, of course, that's happened in the area while we've been living here is the, the coming of the, the temple to the area. Um, it was about 10 years ago right now that uh, we had the groundbreaking, and uh-huh. I recall leaving from there um, to go out to Utah for the passing of my mother, and then within a year, my father. So having the um, temple feel like it was part of that experience has been important as yeah. well. Um, and then later after the passing of Matthew, to be able to go and do his work for him in the temple and receive the Melchizedek priesthood on his behalf yeah, and to feel his presence there and know that he has great opportunities of the work that can be done there yeah, strengthens my testimony. So we love going back to the temple often to refresh that feeling as well. Um, Linda's mother's had the opportunity within the last year as well to receive her own endowments for the first time. And oh, nice. So we've uh, been able to appreciate that and then have her be baptized for her sister and family and do that sealing. A great opportunity. 
she wasn't able to go into the Washington, D.C. temple with us. She was there and mm -hmm. waited in the visitor center as we were sealed 40 years ago. But uh, now she's able to go through with us, and uh, we went to the open house with the Hollenbaughs and with her um, a few months ago. And then this time got to experience all of that with her, and what a great yeah. feeling. Oh, neat. I remember the day that uh, you went through the temple for Matt, and uh, I was in that session and yes. got to be part of that. That was a neat experience. That so. was marvelous. I was delighted to have the strength of the ward to get through some of that. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it has been a lot of fun to sit down and chat with you and get to know you a little bit better. You've been a, a long-standing member of the ward, and... and uh, it's, I've said this before, that it's just fun for me to get to know different people in the ward on a, uh, a different level. So th thanks for taking some time. and We appreciate you doing it. It's fun to have seen things from the Frenches or Batras yeah. or others to catch up and, and know our family a little better. Yeah, we've got uh, a few more in the, in the works, and so hopefully we'll be able to continue and, and have uh, a better opportunity to get to know Please do. members of the ward. But, uh, and for everybody else, thanks for listening. If you want to, uh, I, I won't call anybody out specifically. There are a couple of people that I know you're avoiding me because you don't want to be on the podcast, and that's okay. We can still be friends. But uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fisher Second Ward Podcast. Please share it with members of the ward or others who you think might be interested or might be enriched and blessed by listening to our stories. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.